Today's uh, section of scripture that we're looking at is a particularly intense section of scripture and it's not intense for any other reason than that Jesus is the one himself who makes it intense. And so my goal today is not actually to add to the intensity of it but hopefully for you just to feel the natural intensity and the weight of what Jesus is actually saying. Um, who here has ever heard of the idea of the noetic effects of sin? Has anyone ever heard of that? Just stick your hand up if you've heard of it. Okay. So let me tell you what the noetic effects of sin are. Uh, it's basically the idea that uh, sin has negatively affected and undermined the human mind and the intellect. Okay. So uh, humanity has still some kind of capacity to arrive at some knowledge um, that's useful and at some level truthful. But the noetic effects of sin are that sin has actually corrupted your ability and my ability to actually think about things. And I don't think that I need to give you too much evidence to prove to you that that's the case. Is everyone with me? Um, <clears throat> one of the areas I think that sin has had a, a major effect in terms of its noetic effects is actually on our intuition. Okay? Our intuition uh, is kind of corrupted and messed up a little bit. If someone's intuitive, um, basically uh, what that means um, is someone's able to arrive at something that they feel is true without conscious reasoning. It's kind of more in an instinctive version of truth. Something that's counterintuitive, um, in contrast to that, is something that's different to what you would expect. It's something that doesn't seem right compared um, with what you would normally expect. And today is one of the sayings of Jesus that doesn't seem right. Uh, but I want you to realise that when you listen to this today, you're going to have trouble trying to get through to what Jesus is saying because of the noetic effects of sin. Okay? So what I want you to do today is just sit, let it sit upon you today with the intensity that Jesus intends it to have. Just by way of context, what we've come from is uh, Mark's told us a story in Mark 8 about the blind man, the physically blind man that Jesus heals. And then he launches into this confession that Peter has of Jesus. And it's like all of a sudden the lights switch on. The whole way through Jesus has been saying, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. Everyone's been getting Jesus wrong and finally Peter gets him right. And immediately after Peter getting, gets him right, this is what Jesus does and says according to Mark. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Now notice that little statement there because a lot of the time Jesus is trying to keep things concealed because people are getting him wrong. But now Jesus is coming out. After Peter gets it, Jesus is coming out and saying, this is how it is. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. All right? That's a clue that you're heading in the wrong direction when you take God aside to rebuke him. All right? Just letting you know. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. It's a rebuke-a-thon. That's what's going on here. Peter's rebuking Jesus. Jesus goes, no, you're right that someone's wrong, but it's not me that's wrong. You're wrong. Uh, he rebuked Peter and he said, who would ever use this as a rebuke? Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. And notice who he's talking to here. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me. 
Now, you know what's interesting about that is he's called all the people that are coming to him. And he's almost like, it's, it's kind of like, uh, if you get this here, he's kind of like, let's just put it on pause. Let's put your following of me on pause for a minute and let me just tell you what it's like. And I actually believe that God would have you and me do that today. Let's just put it on pause. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow him, here's how you need to do it. If anyone would come after me, let him, let her, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. This is intense, yeah? Do you know why this is so intense? Because if you were back there 2,000 years ago, crucifixion was probably the most brutal execution that could take place. It was the most shameful and it was reserved for the lowest of the low. And you can kind of see where Peter's coming from, right? Because he's there and he's kind of going, I finally get him. And then Jesus says, I'm going to get beat up and killed by humiliating, shameful death on a cross. And now I'm telling you that I want you to follow me in that. And church history tells us that Peter did follow Jesus in that. He did get crucified on a cross. And he, uh, church tradition tells us that he... Uh, asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy of dying in the same way that Jesus died. I hope you're hearing this today. This, this is actually really heavy. This is really intense. But listen to what Jesus goes on to say. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That is counterintuitive, isn't it? Do you know what's going on there? Is that you're going to lose your life either way. That's what Jesus is saying. You can either lose it in a way that saves it or you can lose it in a way that loses it. <laughs> For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. In Mark 8, what we see is we see the counterintuitive Jesus, the counterintuitive call, and the counterintuitive consequence i'm not going to read mark 8 31 to 33 again but you can look at it on the screen there and you can see there that jesus finally is being plain and they can't handle it the disciples view of messiahship was completely wrong peter thinks that jesus dying is unthinkable jesus thinks that his dying is inevitable see the, the cross as i said before was an instrument of cruelty pain dehumanization and shame the cross symbolised the hated Roman oppression and was, was reserved for the lowest social classes. It was the most visible and omnipresent aspect of Rome's terror apparatus, designed especially to punish cr criminals and quash slave rebellions. In 71 BC, the Roman general Crassus defeated the slave rebel Spartacus and crucified him and 6,000 of his followers on the Appian Way between Rome and Capua. And then a, dec uh, a century later in Mark's day, 
And this is what I think Jesus is talking about. Nero would crucify and burn Christians who were falsely accused of setting fire to Rome. That's what's happening. Jesus is not mincing words here. He's not speaking to a, a Western Christian who's trying, praying and trying to work out whether they should get a four or five bedroom house. He's speaking to followers and to disciples that are going to pay with their very lives. You see, when you look at the suffering of Jesus, there's two aspects to Jesus' suffering. There's the beating, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, the death. There's the physical to it. But notice also in what Mark says there, there's the, um, the non-physical. This is not like some kind of Hollywood movie where Jesus gets to play this brutal part and everyone loves him and they think, what a hero. He took all the crap for everyone and he's, we love him. What a, what a, he's the underdog, you know? He's, he's the classic Queenslander, isn't he? <laughs> it's like Queensland loves... It's like he's the, but he's not, is he? Because he's being rejected. He's being rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes. He's being rejected by the church guys. And he's bearing the sin of the world. You know, some people would say that it'd be easier to suffer physically than to suffer emotionally. People say that. Especially rejection. I mean, just think about um, these words from John 1 verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. See, some of you know that. Some of you know that kind of rejection. The people that ought to receive you, the people that ought to love you, don't. And that causes physical pain. It, almost, it kind of hurts physically when you get rejected. There's an uh, article on Time magazine, um, sorry, on the Time website, time.com, uh, about how timeouts are hurting children. All right? And one of the leading brain researchers in the world at the moment, a guy called Siegel, makes the comment that when uh, parents put their kids in timeout, there's a sense of rejection there, and the rejection that goes through their heads travels the same neural pathways as physical pain. Now, I don't agree with almost anything that he says, to be honest. I'm not a brain specialist, all right? But he's basically saying that schools and homes and everyone should stop doing time out because what happens is your kid has to suffer alone and they're rejected. But the point there in, uh, in what uh, was being written on time.com there is just the pain that actually is the result of rejection. See, this is what Jesus did. Jesus suffered alone. He suffered physically and emotionally. You see, he did, he did the passion. You know, the passion of, of the walk, the carrying of the cross, you know, but he did it on his own. You see, he may have been esteemed and he may have got glory if people actually liked him and they liked what he was doing, but they didn't. They thought it was stupid. It was a passion without a halo. And part of what Jesus is saying to you and I today is, are you prepared to follow me and to suffer with me physically and emotionally. Do you see that? And this, this is like a big PR problem for the church. Because <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you will come after me, if you will be my follower, you need to pick up your cross, which means Jesus is saying, you will suffer for me. You will suffer because of me. And you will suffer rejection and emotional pain and you'll suffer some of you will suffer physical pain. And so Jesus would say to you today, would you come after me? If that's the deal, would you? 
Are you willing to hurt because you follow him? Edward uh, Schweitzer says this, God is there in precisely God in that he can do what humanity cannot do. God can allow himself to be rejected, to be made low and small without thereby being driven into an inferiority complex. Listen to this. Whoever understands the suffering of the Son of Man understands God. It is there, not in the heavenly splendor, that one sees the heart of God. You see, Jesus loves you insanely. There's a whole bunch of his love that just doesn't make sense for you, but for you to follow him means that you have to He's calling you to actually be yoked next to him. And to be yoked next to him means that there's going to be suffering. So what does Peter do? He tries to tell Jesus, no, we're not doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, that's not the plan. Like, did you, I sent the memo out, like it was, a, I CC'd you in. Did you get what I'm saying? No, we're not doing this suffering kind of deal. And that kind of got me thinking. I just thought, I wonder whether the modern church tries to refashion the suffering Messiah. What do you think? Do you think we do? Do you see what Peter's doing? Peter's kind of going, because Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you're setting your eyes on the things of man, not the things of God. He's setting his eyes on the fact that he wants an earthly Messiah who's going to come and is going to dominate the Romans and achieve Peter's agenda and the Jews' agenda. Do we try to remake Jesus into someone that we like. Do we? Probably. And we're going to get to this in a minute. <coughs> see, the nature of the Messiah tells you what the nature of discipleship is. Do you see that? That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I want you to come and follow me. And if you want to come and follow me, that's going to be true for you also. So how does the church, let me give you a couple of ideas about how the church actually tries to remake Jesus into a Jesus that they like. You know, a large part of it is this. I think the way, I think there's a whole bunch of ways that the church tries to refashion Jesus. But you know what it's all about, I think? It's about Jesus being the means to my ends instead of Jesus being this center. It's like I'm in the center and I want Jesus to be the means to my ends. So how can we do that? Well, you know what? That kind of interp- that, that influences the, the scriptures that we read. You know, you probably read some scriptures, you don't read other ones. So ones that you quote. Sometimes it can be churches that only talk about healing. Sometimes it can be churches that only talk about financial prosperity. Maybe it's a church that only talks about his love. Maybe it's a church that only talks about the victory that he brings to you. You see what it is? It's kind of like I turn Jesus into my helper so that my story goes the way that I want my story to go. And Jesus is coming along and he's going, no, the only way that you can follow me is not for me to fit in with your kingdom, your little kingdom, but for you to be part of my big kingdom. Jesus will not be a means to your ends. (laughs) And if you think that he can be, you're not following him. Now, some of you might go, are you, are you saying I'm not a Christian? No, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you're not following him. That's for you and God to work out. The modern church, I fear, more often than what we think, refashions the Messiah into one 
that allows us to be in the center. And my question for you to think about is, do you work to reshape Jesus in a similar way to what Peter did? <clears throat> I don't think for four years at the project that I've ever preached on this passage. And it's good for us to pause and uh, to look at it. Number two, the counterintuitive call. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A wrong view of messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. And it makes me ask the question, why do we disconnect from following Jesus in his way? And I think part of it is that a suffering messiah is jarring to us. If Jesus was all kind of successful and he made lots of money and he was popular, we'd kind of go, yeah, we really want a messiah like that. But somehow when he's a suffering messiah who gets beat up and killed on a brutal Roman cross, all of a sudden it makes us really uncomfortable to keep ourselves in the centre at that point. <laughs> you with me? Did Jesus really go through all of that so that we could stay in the centre? You see, the call to suffer alongside Jesus, listen to me, is a defibrillator to a soul that is arresting due to self being in the centre. The call to suffer alongside Jesus is a defibrillator to a soul that is arresting due to self being in the centre. You see, if you ever find yourself thinking that God's got something a bit wrong, like Peter, that's a clue. <laughs> And Jesus is saying, this kind of me is necessary. This is absolutely necessary. There is no other way to do it than this way. And Peter wants an earthly military deliverer and Jesus is going, no, that's not how it's going to be. And you know what Jesus is saying to Peter? You know, you guys, are, most of you would know this. You know, Peter denies Jesus later on in the Gospel of Mark. You know how he does that? You know what he actually says? He says this in Mark 14. 71 peter says when someone asks him about jesus when jesus is going through the process on the way to crucifixion peter says to someone i do not know this man of whom you speak and do you know that jesus is asking peter to say that about himself at this point do you see that he's saying i don't know this man of whom you speak this self of mine that wants to be in the center jesus is saying what you need to do is you need to get to a point where i don't even know who you're talking about and in a sense today, like, feel the weight of it today. Like Jesus would say to you today, you'd go up and say, you know that old self of yours that wants to be in the centre? That bit of you that you just don't want to kill off? And you ought to just be able to say to Jesus, I don't even know who you're talking about. <laughs> Who's that? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen that guy for a while. I haven't seen that lady for a while. You see, it's only when we've become oblivious to self that we're prepared to bear the cross for his sake. So let's slow down today. Let's slow down. And hear Jesus saying to you and to me today, if anyone would come after me. Would you come after him? See, they're already coming after him, but he says, stop. If you want to come after me, this is how it's going to roll. Do you know, um, 
I wonder if you know what I'm talking about here. Do you know, there's been so many times in my life where I've just had that thought. You can have everything but that bit. Everything. You can have everything. You can have, you can have everything, God. I just want that little piece of my life. I just don't want you to mess with that. I was talking to a fellow this week. You know what he said to me? He said this to me. He said, I know that it would be best for me to give everything to Jesus. He said, but I don't want to because he might tell me to do something I don't want to do. And do you know what my response was? I said it nicely. Well, you're not following him. You know, don't cheat me. I'm just a postman. I'm just delivering the mail, right? Isn't that, what, isn't that what this is saying, this passage today? Like, you can't, it's, it's, you know, we've got the saying that someone's half dead, right? But it's impossible to be half dead, isn't it? You can't, you're either dead or you're not, right? So you don't kind of go, God, you know, like if it was your body, you don't kind of go, God, you can have my legs, torso, left arm, head, except my right hand. I want to keep that. I want that to stay alive to me. True? Because if that's still alive, you're not dead yet. I know it doesn't work biologically. Some of you are going, he's got to just do some biology study. But do you get what I'm saying? You get, Jesus is saying, I want the old you that wants to be in the middle, I want it completely dead. Not comatose, not out cold, I want it dead. Again, Jesus would ask you today, are you really following him? Have you given him everything? Jesus calls for a complete death from you. He calls you to abandon the attachments of this world. That's what death is. Some of you would know the story of the rich young ruler, uh, which is going to show up in Mark 10. The young man comes along and he's got so many possessions, he's got so much stuff going for him. He's probably a westerner. 2,000 years ago and you know what Jesus says to him if you want to follow me they have a little interchange and he says listen here's what you need to do if you want to follow me go and sell everything that you've got and give, give the money away do you know what that is go and die to everything that matters to you and you know what he wouldn't do it and you know what he did he walked away sad Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 33, he says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, Western Christian, non-Christian sitting here today, if you do not renounce all that you have, you cannot, cannot be my disciple. Every command of Jesus, Bonhoeffer says, is a call to die to your stuff, to die to your affections and your lusts. See, sometimes, I don't know whether any of you uh, have experienced this, but some of you would know what I'm talking about, that sometimes it's just, this can be almost a physical pain associated with resisting temptation. You want to do something so bad it almost physically hurts. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It almost physically hurts not to do it. Sometimes um, you're going to suffer when you bear the sins of others as they reject you and to say you're an idiot because you follow Jesus. See, following Jesus means following him away from the familiar. 
And, and we need to be a little, it needs to come a little bit easier to us sometimes, doesn't it? Is anyone with me on that? It needs to come a bit easier. So, you know, you go back to Mark 2, verse 13 to 14, where Jesus rocks up to Matthew, the tax collector. He says, follow me. Says that once he got up and followed him. That would be good. And some of you, uh, like Matthew, the tax collector, uh, following Jesus is going to mean a rupture of your vocation. You're going to do something different. I'll read you a section from uh, Bonhoeffer's book, uh, The Call to Discipleship. Uh, most of you have heard me talk about Bonhoeffer before. This guy was part of the Christian resistance to Hitler and ended up getting hanged, I think only about two or three weeks or something like that before um, the Allies came in and kind of liberated the camp that he was in. He uh, organised an assassination attempt on Hitler, was part of it. He uh, was an extreme pacifist, actually, prior to Hitler really getting things rolling, and uh, he just felt like his hand uh, had been forced by uh, what was happening with Hitler. Listen to this from Bonhoeffer. So you've got to listen to this as a guy who's actually done it, all right? In some ways, you shouldn't be listening to a Western guy telling you about self-denial, all right? Listen to this guy. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in unison with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And this is Bonhoeffer's clarion call, which is quoted almost endlessly. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and what? Die. That's it. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world, but it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. Who knows this is painful though? die this kind of death that Bonhoeffer's talking about you know because there's kind of a some of you might go oh, it's a bit harsh because isn't it a bit of a process to do it and I'd say to you yes it is it is a process but it's also a commitment it's also a commitment I am committed to complete death on my old self some of you going geez he's not really selling it particularly well a, uh, a classic theologian, I, I don't even know who it is, but there's a classic quote by this theologian who uh, was talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, uh, the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. That's true, isn't it? But, but, but there's, there's a sense, isn't there? It's like, what is your commitment? And this is what I want to ask you today. We're going to have communion in a bit, and communion today is going to be reserved for those who can say, I'm not leaving any percent. And it's not going to be reserved because we want to exclude people. Every other time that we run communion, it's open to everyone. And in a sense, communion is always open to everyone. But communion is, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but I live in Christ and he lives in me. There's not 5% or 2% or half a percent. It's like, that's the bit that I just don't want to die. John Piper says this, if you follow Jesus only because he makes life easy now, it will look to the world as though you really love what they, non-Christians, love. 
and Jesus just happens to provide it for you. But if you suffer with Jesus in the pathway of love because he is your supreme treasure, then it will be apparent to the world that your heart is set on a different fortune than theirs. This is why Jesus demands that we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Now, do you want some good news? Anyone looking for something good, something happy? Someone said a while ago at the project here, you just never come away from the project feeling happy. All right? And I'm sorry about that. Um, I am. And so, where's the gospel in this? Well, we're getting to that right now. For whoever would save his life will what? But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will? What's Jesus telling you? You're going to die. You actually don't have a choice. You're actually going to die. And what is he doing? He's actually telling you how to die in a way that saves you. Do you see that? So up until this point, you're probably sitting there and you're just going, I just feel like he's just killing me. And there's not going to be any of me left. Well, let me tell you something. He is actually helping you. And this is the mystery. The mystery is if you lose your life, you find it. And if you try to save it, you lose it. You know what this is? The real you emerges when it's joined to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, if you go right back to where Adam and Eve first blew it in the Garden of Eden, what actually happens is that true humanity that was focused on God and centered on God turned away to something else. They turned to self, they put themselves in the center and they became less human. Adam and Eve became less human. They stopped being a true human and they became less human. You with me? And so they put self in the center. Okay? You know what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I am about recreating people so that they are truly who they're meant to be. Amen? And so what he's actually doing is he's saying the best possible thing for you would be to kill that self. The self that wants to be in the center, kill it. Let it die. And the image that I get in my head, if you've seen the movie uh, Titanic, you remember at the end of it that uh, Rose is lying on a door and Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack there, is in the water and he freezes to death and at the end she realises he's gone and she says, I don't want you to go, come back, come back, come back. And you know what happens in the end is she realises he's gone and she lets go of his hand and you remember that haunting image of his face looking up at her as she sinks away into the depths. That's what Jesus wants you to do to your old self. That's what he wants you to do to the self that wants to be in the centre. And it's going to be really, really good for you. But you don't believe him. That's the problem. And you don't trust him. And I don't trust him. That's why we're not giving everything to him. You with me? Like if you really believed him, he's saying, if you just give me everything, this man I was talking to a couple of days ago in town, he's sitting there and he's going, if I give everything to Jesus, I'm scared that he's going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Well, you know what? What he might ask him to do might, is going to be the best thing for him. And the true hymn's going to come out. And who knows that a really good you through Jesus' work comes out when you suffer. Who knows that's true? And something beautiful comes out. He's not asking you to do something brutal and depressing and self-annihilating. 
The old self needs to die. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. This is what Jesus is calling you to. If you are committed to saving yourself, even 3 or 4%, you will lose yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. If you try to save yourself, you will die the death of a thousand cuts. You'll kill yourself. You see, that's what the whole Bible is about. It's about a whole bunch of people on the planet who are trying to save themselves and, and be in the centre and it kills them. C.S. Lewis nails this really well at the end of Mere Christianity. Listen to this. He says, give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and favourite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end, submit with every fibre of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Everyone say nothing. What's nothing? Nothing, right? That's what it is, it's nothing. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. If you've seen that, say amen. You've seen it, haven't you? And some of you are living that right now. It's just, you're just so busy trying to run after your own stuff, you're just decaying. Like it's kind of like gangrene, like there's parts of you that are dying. And in a sense, you need to let all of that die to Jesus. And let him raise you. But look for Christ, listen, and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. If you refuse to die to self today, it doesn't mean that you won't die. See, you can either put yourself to death and follow Christ or you can kill yourself. And die in the end, the death of a thousand cuts. John Owen said this in his uh, theological work, I think called The Mortification of Sin. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Paul says in Romans, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, so many good buts in the Bible. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you want to live? Do you want to live here? Well, you've got to kill that old man, that old woman. <laughs> you've you got to stop thinking, I'll just give him 98%. Surely he'd be happy with that, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he just be happy? No, he's not. He wants it all. Why don't you stand with me? Uh, I'm going to read something from Luther. And we're just going to transition to uh, communion. So Nathan, if you'd like to come down, mate, that'd be good. I wonder if you just, uh, if, you, if you're happy to, uh, just to close your eyes, just so you can focus. Yeah, there's nothing kind of mystical about that. I want to read you a section from Luther on... Uh, discipleship 
hear this. Discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. It must transcend all comprehension. Plunge into the deep waters beyond your own comprehension and I will help you to comprehend even as I do. Hear this clarion call from, from Luther. He says this, he says, bewilderment, bewilderment is the true comprehension. Not to know where you are going is the true knowledge. You see, just keep your eyes closed here if you've got them closed. But that's, that's what that man was saying to me a couple of days ago. I don't know where Jesus might take me. Luther would say to him, that is the true knowledge. To follow him and not know where you're going. Luther goes on, speaking from Jesus' perspective. My comprehension transcends yours. Thus Abraham went forth from his father and not knowing whither he went, he trusted himself to my knowledge and cared not for his own. See, this is a temptation today is uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You're leaning upon your own understanding. That's what I do. I don't, it doesn't compute for me. And so we kind of go, no, well, I'm not going to do it. But Jesus would say, no, give it, give it up. Behold, that is the way of the cross. You cannot find it yourself. So you must let me lead you as though you were a blind man or a blind woman. Wherefore, it is not you, no man, no living creature, but I myself who instruct you by my word and spirit in the way you should go. Not the work which you choose, not the suffering you devise, but the road which is clean, contrary to all that you choose or contrive or desire. This is the road you must take. To that I call you, and in that you must be my disciple.